You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez, and before we get going, let me introduce the guys. Over here on my right, we've got Martin Page. Hello, Mike. Nice to be here. <laughs> Next to him, and... I thought I split you guys up. No, no, we're, we're sitting together. We got the one and only Bobby Summer. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's and that side of the table. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Uh, uh, and next to Bobby, we got Scott Gershon. Yeah. Oh, man. And next to Scott, we've got Bobby Osinski. Yeah. Hello, Mike. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and next to Bobby, we've got our good friend Nick Peck. I'm cheering for myself. Hello, Mike. How are you? Good to see you, gentlemen. Finally, over here to my left, we've got the one and only. This is show number one forty-six. Rob Arbertier. Am I live or am I Skype? I keep forgetting to check. You are here today. I am. We have right. a maybe maybe it's just a vinyl blow-up, you know? Uh, well, I might be. Yeah, so, right. hey, Never. guys, this is an important show because, number one, this is show number 146. In reality, with our specials, we're probably past 50 by now. But the most important thing about today's show is with today's show, we end our eighth year wow. as a podcast. Wow. Next we, month. Did we ever give his Yamaha mixer away? Like the first <laughs> no, they did, but they sent two back. I know. <laughs> you know what? We never, it never got out. It's still sitting in the same place it was. <laughs> How we scary should, is that? We should give it away <laughs> if I could find it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, eight years. This is our, this is the end of our of our eighth year. We're going to be starting our ninth year in April. Wow. How crazy is that? that it's mm. ridiculous. That mate. is it's amazing. That is bizarre. Mm. And you know, I was listening to a lot of the archive because I'm working on a little something for our, our next podcast. And it's amazing. I mentioned this a little bit on the last podcast of how, you know, we were only planning on doing four shows. And the next thing you know, it, we catch this wave of the digital revolution. But what's really kind of cool is some of the highlights that I found about first time you, we bought music on iTunes and the iPad and the iPhone and all this kind of stuff. And it was just – it's really kind of cool. But the big thing is, man, was I horrible. <laughs> you were pretty good. First couple of shows, I'm like, oh, you cringe. You're like, ooh. You're still horrible. I know. Something's never changed. <laughs> but, but what's really great is all the guys that were here on the first podcast still alive. are still here. Mm-hmm. We're still. Well, actually, we're still here. Still here. Yeah. We just got the pens on. And, <laughs> and you know what? And we've made such great additions with Nick and with Bobby mm-hmm. and with Diego and some of the other guys. I mean, yep. it's just yep. it's really great. So we'll talk more about that. But this is the A team. You've got those are reserves. But, uh, but I do yeah, this is the, the basement. Team. You know, now we're now we're in the uh, the towers. So. Yeah, but yeah least, we're a good fifteen feet higher than we were. Before. Yes, but at least we have more room, though. Remember, That's we used true. to have to be backed up against that wall and I mean, stuff. Yeah, well, so yes, it's all good. Anyhow. All that to say is, uh, yeah, so this is, we're going to end eighth year. We're going to start a ninth year in the next one. So that's pretty awesome. I want to thank all you guys. Um, And still, none of us can talk about anything we're working on. (laughs) 
in eight That's years. True. Very secretive, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. completely secret. Yeah. Even the stuff we were doing eight years ago, we still can't talk about. <laughs> yeah. It's more like the Templars or something. Because <laughs> well, we really weren't working, Templars, on well, we weren't working on it. Well, we weren't working on it. We were all unemployed. It yeah, just right. sounds better. <laughs> what are you working on? I can't talk about it. No, no, no. <laughs> Unemployment line. Huh? <laughs> but, um, you know, a couple things that I want to talk about before we get into uh, We're going to talk about mixing. We're going to talk about vocals on the back end. Um, but uh, I want to talk a few things that are kind of current. Number one, um, you know, we had a great response to our Avid special that we did and what's happening with Avid. And to be honest, nothing's really changed, you know. I, I have, you know, Bobby actually sent me a link about an article that was in uh, Pro Sound News that was with the uh, CEO of Avid. And it definitely didn't <laughs> inspire any confidence. No, I mean, it was really, you know, I'll have to put a link up to that because you listen to it and like Bobby said, it's just a lot of corporate speak and and – I don't really think he understands what he has and how it's being used and talking about integrated the workflows and all this other stuff and uh, you know they have 19 products and it was just it was I'm I, sure there were strategy meetings to talk about how to be able to get around you know sort of the bad press and that kind of and thing And it might be so. Wall Street talk I mean it's yeah. well, that, that absolutely. really rubbed me the wrong way when whoever which of you sent that link out of the but you you had the best response about how out of their what twenty products that they released you know how many of us are using them? Yeah, he said we released twenty products in last year, right? Yeah. Does, actually, and I I think I said in my response, show of hands, who's using any of them? Yeah. Is anyone here at the well, table? Well, I think the question is yeah. define the word release. I yeah. mean, the S six they showed it; it's not really released. Well, and the other thing too is with Avid, it's not just audio it's video too but still all that to say it didn't inspire a lot of confidence who here has moved up to pro tools 11 for their main work is it a majority of us is it, is it any of us <laughs> absolutely not no, okay no, so no. there are a number of reasons why the reason number one is because i don't want to lose all of my plugins that have not been moved over to uh, the new format and the other reason is i keep hearing from everyone that it's crashy as hell and i don't need that pro tools tennis stable at work and for me it's just i've got 2,500 reasons why I don't want to. And then, on there's, that, then there's that. On, on that principle alone, I'm, I'm fiercely looking for something else. Only 2,500? 2,500 just to upgrade, just for the Are you seriously looking for another workstation? Well, I've got Nuendo. I actually got in touch with, with uh, our good buddy, um, Greg, Great. and he hooked me up with Nuendo. And it's really good. I can see why not a lot of people are flocking to it because when you go into the Steinberg world, when you go into that world, you cannot think – Avid. You can't think Pro Tools. You have to think the way they the way they do stuff. Um, there's some really great stuff about it. There's really some stuff that I think it's not intuitive. You know, it's just setting up your session and stuff. I always go by how many times do I have to look at the manual. Can I just sit down and start you know looking and poking around and stuff like Interesting. that? Interesting. I'll talk to you off off a mic. I'd like to know why you think what's different because it's uh, I've worked in both and I'd be intrigued. So, okay. Like, yeah. Not well, for now, boring people. Yeah, but we'll talk about it because uh, it'd be interesting. I, I'm still amazed that no one's kind of really filled that gap. I mean, I've been kind of looking, and there's a lot of things you would have to do in order to fill the Pro Tools gap. You'd have to be able to work post production. You'd have to be able to talk machine control. You'd have to be able to do OMF and AAF input and and output. So it, it's a tall order. New has got all of those already. No, I, as that, you know, yeah, that I understand. But a lot but, of people don't get into New Endo because it, it it's uh, as you say. Have to read the manual. You don't really have to, but if you, it's you, well, you kind of do. I, don't, I, I mean, don't wanna, you're used to it. But yeah, we won't like, hijack it. Yeah, we're talking. Mike, <laughs> what about uh, like European television broadcasts? I think they use Pyramix and right. Sadie a lot. Yeah. Right, yeah. They, they're on Sadie, and, and the problem with that is 
investing, making that kind of capital investment because that's not necessarily any cheaper. Um, and you're making that kind of capital investment in, in like Hollywood, it would be really difficult to be able to move in and out amongst other studios and things like that. They've really got a grip on it and – and I don't think it's, it's going to go away, you know. But it would be really nice if something else could come in and, and kind of fill that. I gap, mean, I know so. I used to teach a course at UCLA, a comparative study of digital audio workstations. Yeah. And when I was teaching it, there were fifty-two options. You know, everything from Avid to Waveframe to Fairlight to Korg, Soundlink to Akai, all these different solutions, and most of them have fallen by the wayside. A couple of them have found ancillary markets, broadcast markets. Markets that may not be records or post-production, which, which digital design seems to have, have been able to uh, capture. Uh, and then Nuendo has been you – know, I thought Nuendo was great at one point. I thought they were really stepping it up and they were going to be giving Avid a run for their money. And I think they were bought and sold so many times that I think that the people that bought them had lost their focus on Nuendo being a, an alternative solution to the Avid products. It's really good product, but they really don't seem to have marketed that way within the industry. So other than some hardcore people that want to work on a PC, I haven't seen much of Avid around. That's the big misconception. And again, we don't want to go on this, but it's actually 100% Macintosh compatible. It yeah. is, that's the thing. New Endo is. I mean, yeah. And and we'll you know we'll do we'll cover different digital audio workstations as we go down farther and farther, especially after um, NAB to see what happens there because I'd be really curious to see what happens there. But yeah, it's it's interesting. No one's filled that gap. The other thing I want to mention about our post product, I mean about our Avid special, is um, some of the comments that I got and some of the emails that I got. People were asking us why we didn't do more speculation on who we would like to take over Avid, and the reason why I didn't do that is number one. Well, it's purely speculation in the first part, and 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 in the corporate world, it's really difficult. I mean, the the way financial, um, the way the finances work with acquiring debt and things like that. If we, you know, everybody would like, hey, you know, Universal Audio, or hey, Yamaha, or hey, what you know, why doesn't Adobe, um, you know, take them over? But it's it's really not that easy. And it may be an investment company made up of a bunch of billionaires that I don't even know about. So, you know, but the, you know, that's like. Talking about your favorite baseball team or sports team, and why don't they trade so and so to so and so? Right, and it's not that easy. But yeah. I, 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 I haven't seen though. Uh, being a bit of a businessman myself with companies, I'll just say the reality is it's too early to buy Avid because if they're hanging on the hook, you're going to want to let them drop way further right. down mm. to buy pennies on the dollar. But yeah. right now, yeah. it's still worth something, and they need to be in further trouble yeah. to be able to get it as, at a fire sale. Yeah. The thing is, the market cap of Avid, uh, as of that last whatever couple of weeks ago, yeah. it was about two hundred fifty-two million bucks. That's market cap, right? Excluding debt. So the net value of it. I mean, okay, but, but work, working on market. They claim cap, to have no debt. Yeah, okay, but but say so they have no debt, no no outstanding lawsuits and all the other junk. That, but anyway, say so two hundred fifty-two six million bucks. I mean, I'm sure we know people with that much money. It's a small, such a small money amount for for a, for a big business, right? So so it's it's more than likely that they will get snapped up by anybody that wants to even just take them out. So yeah, you know, no, it would be a rounding error for Apple, and of yeah, course, those yeah. are no, people that I've that, been the that, biggest fan of. That is true, but having said that, there's just so many players that could come in and out, not just. 
but not just people in the industry. I mean, there could right. be investment groups. There could be someone who's just, you know, some great sound hey, it could designer. be Bain Capital. Well, yeah. Uh, uh, well, wait a second. How about Logic? Does anybody take Logic seriously? I think it's Absolutely. a great program, yeah. But not seriously in a production. Not in post, post though. No. I mean, it's not a great no. composer's tool at home. Yeah. And sort of, it's garage band on steroids, Yeah, basically. yeah. But it's I nice. thought it was a great composer's it, tool. Yeah, I exactly. agree. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think digital perform is far superior. Yeah, yeah. For... for uh, but I, I love Logic for, for its options. But uh, you know, I know hey. lots and lots of really fine composers that you sit in Logic every day, and you know a it lot. works just fine for you know doing uh, sample library orchestra stuff. I love it. I think it's I think it's a really fine tool. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's a great program, and and definitely a lot of music guys look at. There's a definitely a younger. Um, generation that's moving more towards the logics they're the same guys that you know think um ableton's expensive you know because you can pick up logic now for 200 dollars. i mean that's insane how inexpensive it is yeah, i mean the guys know? that i hang with i mean these are orchestral composers and they've no, got twenty thousand dollars yeah. in their sample libraries no, and so I, I, there's I'm, you know they but, use logic because it's the best tool yeah, for but, but also great. i think what logic's done and apple's really smart on what they do and someone explained this to me you know I know Rob and I went out at one point, bought Logic 9, or but it was a version because it was so cheap. And then I said, did you happen to buy an upgraded Mac at the time? And everyone said, yeah, of course we did, to run it. And really what happens is Logic becomes a lost leader to incentivize you to go buy hardware. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, much like, I guess, Pro Tools, you know, because they want you to buy their, their hardware too. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens. We're, everybody just, I, I would say the next big milestone for Avid is to see how their user conference at NAB is going to go. Because, um, I mean, I wish I could go there because they're yeah. going to have like this open forum where users can uh, ask them questions. As someone who has sat in on a bunch uh, of yeah. similar kind of things like that, there's not going to be any revelations. No, I can just I know. tell you, they're very, very good at, at I, I just maintaining wanna, whatever line it is they're trying to maintain. I just want to yell at them. <laughs> uh, I've had the opportunity. I'm just you could have been a contender. <laughs> They don't need to be contenders. They they own the game in town. So I know. They are, exactly. All right. Well, anyhow, enough of that. So is Microsoft. (laughs) So I want to tell you one other thing um, really quick. We're going to talk about this really super quick. Um, We don't talk about anything super quick. I found this new iPad iPad app. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, that's great. Um, oh, I'm kidding. Do you know what? We're not going to talk about tablets or slates or iPads. Uh-huh. On <laughs> okay. I know how much you like that. I love it. <laughs> what about the iPhone 6? <laughs> nope, nope. We're not going there. <laughs> that's an edit. <laughs> no, it's not. Keep it in. 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 <laughs> so anyhow, what I do want to talk about is um, a link that um, actually, Bobby, I think you sent it out, right? And it got me thinking about um, bringing it up, especially on this particular podcast. And what it was was a... It was a small little thing about um, auto tune and how the music industry. It was a documentary, wasn't it, Bob? Yeah. It was actually. Why don't you explain what well, it was? It was, right? a, it was a British uh, magazine program that did a, a, a expose, so to speak, of of really what goes on with with recording artists and how badly they, or rather, how how they rely heavily on electronics to allow them to sing in time and tune. So, as we all know, as users of it all the time, we know that most artists. Uh, sing through auto tune these days, and right. it's become a fashion and a pop uh, sound too. So it's, it's, it, there's double whammy keeping has been keeping it alive. But the expose that was just basically saying, look, these people really can't sing, 
and um, they mentioned and, also that people were using it live, you and, know. right? And Which you are, can, right? The people are using it live, and one of the key parts of it. Now, I suggest anybody, I'll post it for you again if you like. But uh, one of the things was uh, Sir Elton John was uh, asked to give away the best live uh, performance awards in, in 2013, I think it was. And he's quite funny, and he stands up and he opens the envelope, all you know, dying to see who it is. He goes. Madonna, fuck off. And he literally said, uh, you know, I can't see how Madonna could be the best live artist. And you can actually hear in the audience, people go, oh, God, what's he saying? Talking about Madonna like that. And essentially, he's a hardcore singer, rock and roller, writer, player, real deal guy. Granted, he's old and whatever everybody does, you know. Yeah. But either way, he does it on live and he sings out live and he's at his voice. Madonna's old as well. Well, she's very old. <laughs> yeah, but she, you know, here's the thing, you know. <laughs> she's got to be what? 50? The way, the way that expose was, it was like some big revelation that these people aren't singing live. Well, and, what, some, and what, was, what an engineer did, though. He, he, I don't know how they did this, but he took back the, some of the tracks that Britney Spears was right. working on, which I think was pretty cruel. And you heard her singing it before they'd done older tunes. So, right. you know, it's bad news to hear that because the engineer shouldn't, shouldn't do that. Well, but it, I think that's where the revelations came from. Right. And, 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 then, and then her press people said she never, never mimes. Which was ridiculous to say because well she doesn't know. mind but she sings along she doubles mm. all her tracks right I mean she's no, singing no, along I mean, with some the track. of them she does not sing she sure. actually has the lead vocal playing mm. right that's and what I mean it's like she can come well, in and out as, as much as she yeah. wants well, well, I mean, if you're dancing dance. that much you're running yeah, out of breath yeah, that's it's like easy to do Earth Wind and Fire used to do it yeah yeah it's not but not the same way though I mean they they definitely I've seen Earth Wind and Fire in concert and I'm not saying that they're Look, they're talented. I'm leaving they're, if you go. No, 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 no. I'm leaving. No, no. I, it was a great show. Don't I'm get me I'm wrong. Only, I'm only kidding. But if you, if you look at some of the modern productions where it's more of a – it's almost more of a Broadway show and things is, like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. You know, you go – when you go in there, you're not – don't expect to hear the, the artist. I mean you want – you pay for the whole show, right? Right. I mean – and you don't want them to sing because it's not going to sound nearly as good as it did in the studio. And that's well, – that's, But I will say, by the way, about a week ago I saw Book of Mormon. Uh-huh. They were all singing live. Mm-hmm. No, and they would. I didn't have to admit. I just sat there and went. You know, I guess it's been a long time since I've heard yeah, yeah. a live, an amazing, talented right. singers rather than yeah, they kind of good look good. They kind of sing okay. These people just knocked it out of the ballpark. Well, no, it's day in it's and like day out. when I went to go see Once in New York. All yeah. of the actors were playing and singing. And don't get me wrong, I'm not anti singing. I'm not anti live performance. I'm just, I'm just saying, look, you got to go. Keep it all in perspective. If I if you're going to go see a Britney Spears concert, you're going to go for the whole production, the whole show, the whole the whole thing. Does anyone know? go to Britney Spears to hear her sing? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, did, did you something, see? The, oh, go ahead. Did you see the thing in the paper the other day? Just getting off the subject on Britney a little bit. Uh, how um, her VIP packages go from twenty five hundred to five thousand dollars, which include a meet and greet and a goodie bag. And sit in the front row and, for sound check or something. That yeah, kind of yeah. Stuff, I, yeah. I, and, and there was all mm. sorts of. It was like sold out. That's, yeah. get that's crazy. Packages, yeah, that's, that's crazy. crazy. That is say? crazy. Well, a lot of people don't realize that with acts like her, what they'll typically do, and I think Madonna may have been the first one to have this setup, but they'd actually have the lead vocal on a track, just like some other backing tracks were. And then the the artist has a mic that if they sing, it mutes the lead vocal off the track. But if they stop singing, like if they get to an intense dance section, they just sort of mouth the words. And then the lead track plays through automatically. Oh, that's cool. So the artist can actually decide during the live performance whether they have the breath to sing something or not. 
And, you know, and on that note too, some of these acts that get all high and mighty, I mean, I've heard Elton John. Elton John's a great performer, but he can't hit those high notes anymore. But, but if played- you go to see a, a live act to see how they play live, my sentiment is if everybody had to l- sing and perform as best they could live, it, we would sure have a lot less artists out there. I mean, because I mean, only the players and singers would really be on stage and maybe they should be the only ones out there anyway. That no. no, I mean you go for the show. You're not you're not going. Look at my little eight year old is going to go when she went to go see Taylor Swift. Now I didn't go, so I don't know if she was singing or not singing. She didn't care. Of course, she wanted to see the whole show. The, yeah, but we're not talking about eight year olds. We're talking about essentially, you know. I mean, obviously, a kids' market is a different story, and 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 they, you know. Yeah, but that's true. Do, uh, do, do you not want to see? Like, would you? I mean, would you would you prefer to see a band mime a song they did in the studio and dance, or hear them out, see how they play, and actually get off and how well that bass player played his part? If he yeah, played the part, you know, I know a lot of people who wouldn't care. Yeah. Sadly, yeah. Sadly. I'm just saying. Yeah, I, I, look. But how the artistic they, side of me would yes, I'd love to hear him play. I love live music. Don't but, get me wrong, but uh, just entertain me. I don't care. But you know, you, you play live music. How many times has David Foster taken away the band and put Toto in? When you when you look at the tubes, Chicago, it's all Toto playing. The band's not even playing. Well, that's true they too. use their name. They use the lead singer. They have a whole other set of musicians playing. You buy the album, and then hopefully the band sounds something like the way the album was. Which is a, a shame because both those bands are great. They you know, but there were so many. When the tubes went them. out, they played live, and when and when Chicago went out, they played live. They had to learn those parts. They might have been pissed off that somebody else played it, but they had to play it live. I think we're coming back to older tune. You know, it's a, it is a different market. It's a different time. And you talk about theatrics, and I think you're talking about young audience. I think you're talking about a young audience because, you know, even when Genesis were breaking, they were doing a lot of theatrics, and there was a lot. Of, it was an amazing live show, and Gabriel, right. Gabriel's always done that and sung. So you're talking about a live audience and a live market, a young audience. That's what I'm trying to say. It's right. really that's where the gap changes, you know. And we don't. We, it goes from there to Russia or something, but it goes to, you know, you're looking at a young audience that accepts pop music, which in most pop music now has an auto tune. So all the tune is affected, you know, how the live shows are going to be in a lot of ways. And it's a youth-oriented thing, you know. But that's true. And, and I'm not – like I think if it all depends on the act. Mm. Certain acts, you know – you absolutely it's, it's okay for them to and you'll you know, see auto-tune with yeah. basically with dance music and young young bands right not so much with sound garden or something this right or if you went to yeah. go see you know steely dan play or, Bowery. or something yeah, okay. Okay. when we were younger we used to call it corporate rock rock became so uh produced and so much where sticks would have in peter frampton and guys that would really start off well and that's how Nirvana came in. All of a sudden, guys were out of tune. Mm-hmm. Guys were more and, raw. And to bring, bring this up again, and a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of the young bands that broke through for young people, like Gary Glitter and everything, they couldn't perform live very well. You know, so it was a struggle for those artists yeah. that were breaking to young kids, like we were talking earlier, yeah. Sweet and Slade and everything. It was a little difficult for them to go out on the road. T-Rex, a little hard to go out. But now with the technology, the young ones can go out and still you know, use, right. use you technology. Know, you bring up a dilemma for me mm-hmm. in, in all of this and, and with auto-tune I love Crosby, Stills and Nash I, I always have um, I use the word tune all the time <laughs> well if you listen to them live now they're, they're really rough yeah, they they're really rough and I think to myself would I rather hear them not so rough with auto-tune <laughs> that's true honestly yeah. and, and I don't know I mean because sometimes I hear them and I cringe you know the live things and you go Ugh. 
But they, that's, they just who, just but that's who they are that's now. Exactly right. Right. If you're going to go that's see CS now, it's to see CSN. It's because you love the music, you love the recordings, and you love your memories of when you saw them in the '70s and the '80s and the '90s. You know whether they can, you know whether they can hit every note perfectly or not. Who cares? It's David Crosby and Graham Nash, and you know they're up there and they're singing this beautiful, awesome music. And that's well, what that's the thing. Are they singing beautiful? Well, awesome. <laughs> they should stop. You know, Paige just you say, said well, we can't chest. do it anymore. We I can't agree. Do it. You I know, think that was a different era. We're just going out for the money, and we're just going out because we like to be in a band together. But there's a point when you'd want to sit back and listen to the live tapes and say, "Fuck me, we shouldn't be doing this. We've lost the." The spirit of what plot. those songs were, you know, yeah. a, I think that's a, a reality check as well, you know, well, for well, artists. I think here's a good example about performing live is the best show by far that I've ever seen. I actually worked, and that was the Stevie Wonder concert, um, and it was actually a show that we did in Australia, and it was Tina Arena was um, was performing with him, and it, it was goosebumps because they both were singing. It was totally live and Stevie puts on a great show anyhow and and that I think that moment the goosebumps everybody felt it in the whole room in the whole auditorium that could trump any laser well, that, that's video exactly what show I'm talking about. I mean, I mean that's, that's what music should right. be though uh, exactly should yeah. be a but not everybody thing. is capable of doing that and I, never, I would never expect a but Britney Spears but that's why we shouldn't have people on stage that aren't but you can't say you shouldn't because well, no, shouldn't but we shouldn't <laughs> It shouldn't be a world where everything is put up into us and said, oh, it looks good and great. Yeah, she put her on stage, but when there's a great singer... But, but, but again, she, who's, who's to make that judgment? Because of some people... I think, I think the end news... The end, the it's end up decide, to the, the audience will decide. Exactly, yeah. But I also think this what's neat is, like you just talked about your moment you know, when you saw Stevie. Something nice about being human is that occasionally something special happens. And maybe you're lucky to be at the right place at the right time to catch that, that one performance. I mean, look... I, I'm a big Heart fan and all that. And when they did the Led Zeppelin Stairway to Heaven at the Kennedy Center, it's been... That was magic. Yeah. It was magic. All of a sudden, I got goosebumps and went, wow. And it was special. It was captured. And that's what records try to do is they capture that one little moment of, of perfection, supposedly, that the artist wants to perceive, which isn't like when you talked about auto-tune. Sometimes it gets so manufactured that it loses that little... Humanism, that little something, that imperfection for all the people you know that try to make it perfect, and I'm going to make every note perfect and every beat perfect, and it's going to be perfect. But there's something neat about it, just being real. You know what? A great the- producer walks the line and and, can, and builds a combination of the stuff that is studio perfection with the stuff that is the human piece. And there are plenty uh, yeah. of great pop producers. That's like like on the other hand, very good point. On the other hand, you have Mutt Lang and you have Steely Dan, who will. Work uh, yeah, a, a song to death with many different bands until they get what they want, but it's perfection. Yeah, you know, it's not electronic perfection, perfection, but it is. You know, they've worked it to perfection. And some people don't like that. It's too. It's too neat for them. It's too perfect. But what I find produced, it's, it's it's just done to get it right. Yeah. What I think is interesting about Seely Dan is that the performance is done to perfection, but. Donald Fagan has an extremely eclectic voice. That's true. And, you know, but he's never his, out of tune. He's never out of, he's never out of tune, but there are definitely things in the, you know, he doesn't sound like a trained operatic, you know, well, it's not manufactured, absolutely perfect singer. The term. Yeah. They'll keep yeah. playing it until they get that take or combinations they like, 
but it's not a manufactured song. Well, the great thing about Steely Dan as well, some of the performances, although they looked looked upon as really slick and nailed down, some of the performances of, of the musicians like Steve Gadd are yeah. phenomenal. And they knew when to say keep that mistake. Yeah. You know, and they yeah. knew when to keep it because you can hear on some of those drum tracks on Asia that he's... The not, drum click yeah, in the middle click. of the drum yeah. solo. And they knew yeah. that that spoke and they knew Larry Carlton yeah. played some great I mean, solos. That was, and, you know. was that all about Zeppelin? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Zeppelin was so imperfect, but God, there was something going on. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you're absolutely right, and and I just want to bring this back around. Like, all I'm saying with auto tune is certain acts will use it, certain acts won't use it. There's a generation of a lot of acts that are using it, but there's also a current generation of really great singers, really yeah. live, good live. You know, people, any, it's not like people don't know how to sing in tune. It's right. not like new, you know, new people coming up can't be can't learn how to be able to sing correctly. Right. Of course they can. But there's also a pressure too. You have to understand there's a pressure financially for them to make a boatload of money on the live show because that's you know that a lot of those live shows. Are there anything they get paid for? Well, yeah, are, yeah, or where they make their money, and they're competing. You know, you're, you know, when you pay a hundred bucks for a ticket, you exactly. want to be freaking impressed. Do you remember you in know? the old days when we when the albums came out, like Queen, and they said we don't use any synthesizers? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, now they're bringing out an album saying I didn't use any auto tune on my vocals. <laughs> That's true. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yes. Bobby, you were going to say something. Yeah, but you know, let's bring this back to the studio, where there's an unspoken pressure on an artist now to make everything perfect, as perfect as possible, to get it in tune, to get it uh, on the grid as much as possible, only because that's what the rest of music is doing. So even if you don't want to do that, there's that pressure that makes you do it. But do you think, or it makes you do at, at, or to some degree makes you do it. Do you think the pressure, though, was created by the listeners, or is the pressure done by kind of the ego of the industry of what they want it to be, both. not, you know. Both. But do, I, don't you think an artist, as a true artist, and obviously this very, but an artist should say, listen, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, whether you like it or not, in tune, out tune, whatever it is, take it or leave it, not let me go in there. A lot of artists these days are, are little businesses, and I don't blame them because they've got to try and make money, but they end up starting a record thinking, well, I've got to do the auto-tune, I've got to do this, I've got to be on the grid, I've got to quantize, I've got to use this drum sound, I've got to have this guest guy on here. It becomes like a, 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 a commodity, and there's no chance of spontaneity. I don't think, you know, you know Jimi Hendrix said, oh, you know, I shouldn't play left-handed, I should play right-handed. Sex Pistols didn't use auto-tune. Yeah. No, they didn't, If you put auto-tune on the Sex Pistols, it wouldn't work. Yeah. Auto-tune would say, we don't know what key that but, is. But, <laughs> <laughs> But <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's brilliant. <laughs> I was just so so Bobby as a counterexample. Um, what's one of the biggest songs of the last several months? Let it go from Frozen, right? Massive pop song, Academy Award for best song, etc. I was listening to the naked vocal track the other day in Adina Menzel, and if there was any auto tune on there, you know, I'll, I'll eat my shoes because it was absolutely perfect. But it was the perfect vocal performance of a trained, you know, of a trained Broadway singer, and it was incredibly beautiful and just earth-shatteringly lovely because there was nothing in it. It was just a woman and a microphone and her awesome talent and her awesome pipes. You know? Um, Rob, really, yeah, I just two quick points about auto tune. First of all. One just semantic thing is everybody should realize we use auto-tune as a blanket name for a technology, but the truth is most of the high-end people doing that kind of work now are using Melodyne in the studio. It's actually a much more transparent-sounding tool, and it's much cleaner. It's not as easy to use live. There is actual auto-tune hardware. but um, And that brings me to my second point, which is auto-tune is just a tool. 
and it's as good as whoever's hands it's in. If you're really skilled at it, you wouldn't, you know, you can use it in a way that no one would ever know. You don't use it in auto mode, in other words. No, you never use it. <laughs> that makes me gag when I see someone using it in auto mode. But I will say in answer to what Nick said, I've, I've actually used uh, those products, whether it's Auto-Tune or Melodyne, on some incredibly famous vocals by some incredibly famous artists, which obviously I can't go into any more detail than that. But if you solo those tracks, you would never in a million years realize there was processing. I'm not saying Adina Menzel needs any help, and, and nor do a lot of other artists, but it is at the point these days, a lot of people when they think of auto-tune, they think of that sort of T-Pain, mm-hmm. right. you know, zero That's vibrato true. Right. robot yeah. sound. But auto-tune technologies, especially Melodyne, can be used in a way where even listening to that track on its own, you would never in a million years know. So right. Wow. Just one amazing. note that it you gotta, exactly. gotta move a little yeah, bit. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That, that would be my point. Oh, is so Billy Holiday would have a problem. You know what? You always leave vibrato and you always leave drift in. And if you're really an expert Melodyne user, which is a much more sophisticated tool than, than auto-tune, it allows for pitch drift. It allows for all the things that make a vocal human. It, it just lets you draw it in a little bit. And I'm serious. You would not know. No, you would not know. I, I, I use Melodyne, and it's, it's awesome. It's, 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 it's the only software I use that is that buggy but still worth it. <laughs> uh, seriously, because it's, it's incredibly buggy, but it's worth it. It's, it's amazing. It's really good. I mean, they, they do an amazing job. Sorry, Thomas. Job. <laughs> Thomas, I'm a fan, Thomas. We're huge Thomas fans, Rob. Thomas. Tell them to fix the bugs. We love it. There's a video of me, I think, online yeah, talking video. about uh, Melodyne. Me I love too. it. About his bugs? No, was Not about the bugs so much. No. Uh, um, but really, Melodyne is a great, a great tool. It's incredible. And the thing about Melodyne is, is you can work at such small increments and just just knock it in just a little bit. And actually, you don't have to make it perfect. Sometimes you just want to bring it just – it's just a little edgy on so the top. Yeah. And, and honestly, the best use of Melodyne is by someone with a great ear for pitch and great sensibility of what a vocal should sound like. If you use any of these tools in auto mode, then you're not using these tools. I mean, that's, that's just – that's like throwing something into the Cuisinart. And I also it, put that on there for, for, for the sound design side, just a different thing. Uh, the sound of Voice of Gypsy was created in Melodyne. Wow. So, yeah, so all the robotic voices, it was all processed to Melodyne. So. Well, you know, I think, you know, just like anything else, I think, Rob, you nailed it. It's a tool, and it's how you use the tool. My thing is, is you know, I, I really support any act that does live vocals, that, that performs live. I love listening to live music, live bands. Although I'm not going to throw stones at acts that don't. I'm not going to throw stones at acts so that So should a live band sing. be considered live? If, and win an award for the best live no, vocalist. No, I agree. I agree. And sing through I'm, with you. I'm with okay. you. So well, is, is, not is it yeah. the best live show or the live right. vocalist? Because, best, I mean, best live act. Well, because sometimes, I mean, I, 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 I don't know why I'm going there, but sometimes it's just a really great show. Well, I mean, that's true it too. may not be a great singing, but between the light show and the dancing and music and musicians, it's wow. such a subjective it's production. Thing. Yeah. It should be called. yeah, but the, yeah, exactly. It should yeah. be best live vocalist, best live production. production well, hey, look, one of my favorite all-time shows ever is Love over at the Mirage in Las oh, Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all Beatles music. Yeah. Nobody's singing. It's all track, but it's still powerful and emotional. It's and, a theater and show. At the, yeah, yeah, and at the end, you still get this lump in your throat when you see the four huge screens come down and you see a beetle on each one. So it's all, you know, however it makes you move. And, you um, just ruined it for me, Mike. You just gave away the ending. <laughs> really, they broke up. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> no need to see it now. Anyhow. All right. Well, hey, listen, we, uh, we're going to take a break right now. And when we come back on the other side, we're going to talk about vocals. And we're going to talk about mixing vocals and where they should be on. And we're going to talk about little 
tips and tricks and all kinds of fun stuff. And uh, comedy. They should vocals. be in the center. Next question. <laughs> they should or be sh- loud. Or should they? <laughs> or should they? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. All right. So uh, we'll see you on the other side. Listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Westwave Audio. Have a question for the panel? Would you like to be a guest on the Audio Nowcast and live in the LA area? Email us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back to the Audio Nowcast. And uh, before the break, uh, we were talking about auto-tune and breaking out in hives. Mm. Wait, no, that was just Nick. Mm. <laughs> but he's recovered nicely. He's recovered <laughs> nicely. Hey, so Doing my best. we've been talking. We're starting a series on mixing for uh, those that weren't here last week. Bobby? Me. Yeah. <laughs> Us too. Um, you get Kids. to talk twice as long. That's, that's <laughs> what we do anyway. But most of them are swear uh, we were words. Playing football, we? We, we played football, weren't we? We played football, yeah. We played soccer. I mean, that's it's right. more important. Come on. That's more important. Game Did football. you guys win? Yeah, mm. we won last night 5-4. Yeah, 5-4? Yeah, real tough game. Good. It was fantastic. Yeah. We're on the same great. team. Yes, on the same team, yeah. yeah. You know what? I'll, I will tell you this, that Martin turns into a beast on the football field. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, you would not recognize him. He's mean. So he yells Bobby. at you. So oh, Bobby. no, Bobby's the same way. Yeah, I, yeah. I played with him once. We're animals. We're animals. He got once. the ball and we just gave him such a bollock <laughs> and he eventually just said, oh. <laughs> No, Martin ran into me in a goal and gave me a hip. I didn't it. even know you were there, Mike. I'm sure those schoolgirls didn't know what hit him yesterday. <laughs> 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 well, no, they did. We couldn't hit that wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, so we're going to talk about vocals. And the reason why I wanted to start with vocals is because vocals is one of those things that everybody has an opinion on how it should be. And yet the reality is – opinion on everything so far. And the reality is there's there's nothing – you know, there's no firm rules on some of this stuff. But Can I start off the conversation by just saying that in a lot of ways a vocal and especially for a less educated audience, a lot of times a vocal is a little bit like a – a gunshot is a sound effect. Like the reality of what a gunshot sounds like in real life versus what it sounds like in a movie is vastly different. A lot of your favorite singers, if you heard them sing by themselves without effects and without doubling and without a lot of other trickery, that compared to what you expect to hear from their record is a little bit like uh, the same thing. It's People have a really wrong idea a lot of times of what a human voice actually sounds like when you record it. That's Except true. For Tom Jones. Or, or what it or what it should sound <laughs> yeah. like. Well let me let's start from the beginning though. Before you before you even even mix, right? You gotta capture the vocal. Using that does help. I don't. I, know, I, I my mix first, then add the vocal. <laughs> <laughs> using, mix first, record later. Yeah, using, exactly. a, using a good mic and a good mic pre. Now, let me. I just, we're just going to spend a little bit of time, but I'm, I want to ask you, and, and I'll start with you, Rob. Um, what describe what a good mic mic pre sounds like? What, what does that sound like? Well, it's it's different for every voice, right. but um, with a trained ear, I mean, a lot of it is. One of the reasons that experience is important is when you're at the stage where you're recording a vocal, a lot of times the track isn't fully built or fully done, especially in pop music. Right. I mean, it's one thing if you're setting up a whole band and tracking everything at the same time because you can hear the voice in context with the backing track right. all at the same time. But a lot of times if you're recording the vocal separately, as we do a lot, in, especially in pop, um, you have to sort of be able to tell whether you're getting the kind of vocal sound you need. Is it going to be present enough to fight through the rest of the track? Presence. Um, 
basically there's there's this magic that happens between a singer, a microphone, and a mic pre, and obviously then your console and speakers and everything else. But um, it's the sum total of all those things working together right. that matters. So you could have a singer who on one mic sounds absolutely terrible, um, and an on, and another singer might sound great on that same mic. You have to learn to trust your ears, and the only way you can do that is have the experience of seeing a vocal through to a final mix and hearing what the raw track you recorded translates to in the in the final. But it's a it's a pretty subjective thing, right? But having said that, you know, if you're going to spend some money and and you want to you want to really help your project out, you can't go wrong by getting a really good mic pre because that's your gateway into your DAW. And a really good mic pre, let me tell you what that buys you. If you use a cheap mic pre on on one of these, you know, cheaply manufactured board, you're going to get a sound that to you may sound good, right? Because you're, you're recording it, but they're generally a little thin. They're generally, they don't have much low end. They don't have much high end. It's kind of always in the middle, right? And, and what Rob was talking about, the presence, you know, you get that when you have a, a nice, a lot of high end. You get that when you have a lot of room, a lot of air on the top. I will say that, that, um, the mic pre, a great mic pre, will tend to sound great with every singer. It's more the, the relationship between the vocalist and the mic that matters. A great mic pre uh, will generally be a great mic pre for everybody. Right. And I'm, and I'm pointing that out because if, if in, in your music, if you can only afford one mic pre, you really want that to be on your, on your vocal um, because that's going to be that's, – that's going to really – give you a great sound, right? I mean, a lot of this other guitar stuff can be a little subjective, drums, things like that. But if you really want to get a really good vocal sound, you want to start with a good a good mic pre. Well, and a lot of times... Use auto-tune, not necessary, really. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of times, especially if you're sort of new to this, you won't realize whether or not you recorded a great vocal until it has to be in context in the mix. It might sound great on its own, but it might not be able to fight through the mix. Or you may have to boost some frequencies to make it fight through that all of a sudden it's too sibilant or too muffled or too whatever. Um, but, I mean, honestly, if you're, if you're new to this, it's better to have – it's better to borrow or rent mics, especially if you're working with different singers. There's no way to know. I mean, you can go out and buy a crazy mic for thousands and thousands of dollars that might be terrible for the first singer you use it on. Um, it's it's unless you're planning to put together a very expensive mic locker with a lot of different options. Right, I, uh, I got one for you. So you two was just in my friend's studio, and Bono recorded all of his vocals on an SM58 in the control room. Wow, mm-hmm. and that's what he's always done. Mm-hmm. That's what he likes. To do. He likes to hold the mic, doesn't yeah. he? Right up against yeah. SM7 is another very popular. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah not expensive. One of my favorite mics. Yeah. I, I think that, I think that comes back to the the artist. You know, the the individual. It is like as Rob said. I think the microphone. You know, you, the great singers. You can see that they get very used. They take a while to get used to the microphone, and they know how to move in and move back. Right. They almost do their own compression, like Frank Sinatra. You know, the early swing records. They were basically. Um, no compression. They were just using the mic. Right. So they knew how, how, to, how to play it like an instrument. And uh, you learn as you go. You know, I think most kids that get their microphones and are writing songs or just want to be singers, they'll, they'll hear their voice and they'll start to understand how to 
you know, get the proximities right on a microphone. Right. And, and all this to say is we're, we're going to start going into the mix, but you want to capture as good of a performance as you can. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if even if you get bad pops or you yeah. get distortion, if you get a great vocal, we've, we've seen that with the Beatles, you know, you're going to hear some of these vocals on the end of Hey Jude, you can hear it's distorting. And so, but if the vibe is good, it, it means a lot. And if, you, and if you're with a if you're with a good microphone, a good mic pre, you know that's going to help your job out. It's it's really going to help you out, Robbie. I mean, also I'll, I'll put something out there that I think we talked about about a hundred podcasts ago. But um, my partner Gary O, who you know recorded and mixed songs in the Key of Life and a lot of classic stuff for Stevie and a bunch of other artists, but his technique for miking things, uh, which I learned early on, was. He would basically make sure that what was coming out of the speakers sounded exactly like what you'd hear if you went into the room. So if he was recording an acoustic guitar, he'd put his ear down by the guitar, figure out where to put the mic, and then he'd remember in his head what it sounded like with his ear to the guitar, and then he'd go in the control room and try to get that same sound. It should, in a perfect world, you're trying to capture something. Right. You know, There are times when, as a producer, you're trying to create something that isn't real, but a lot of times if you're trying to capture a voice it should pretty much sound coming out of the speakers the way it did to you in the room. If you can use that as a starting guideline before you start straying away from that creatively, it's going to be a good place to start. If all of a sudden, if somebody sounds way more sibilant, you know, if they have a lot more S's and and high T's and stuff in their voice, and you don't hear that from them, I happen to be working now with a singer who's very sibilant, and she has a lot of that to her voice naturally. So we turn it down as a creative choice, but the initial miking we try to do is just capturing exactly what she's doing. And the doing. most important thing is for the singer to hear back right. in his headphones something that gives him confidence and helps him mm-hmm. want to perform. So, you know, the engineer has a job really to make the singer feel like he's hearing in his headphones something he can deal with and work with. And a big thing right. with latency these days for singers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Really quick, Bobby, were you going to say yeah, something? Yeah, no, I'd like to ask Nick, so is the criteria different for what you do than what we do for music. So, in other words, uh, with the the relationship with the the person that's doing the uh, voiceover like with the microphone and oh, and- absolutely, without a doubt, the criteria is the same. We will go into the studio and we'll try four different microphones on an actor to find the one that works the best for them. So, we were working with uh, Corey Burton uh, a couple of weeks ago, who's a very well established. Um, voiceover guy. He's the guy, if you ever go to Disneyland and you're riding on the tram from the parking lot to, to the park, he's the guy that's sitting there talking at you while oh. you go. So millions and millions of people have heard him. Um, and, you know, we try a lot of different, we, I remember we had two or three different mics up on him and his favorite is the, his favorite is the AEA microphone. I think it's a KU4, something like that. It's about a $3,000 microphone. And he said it's absolutely great on his voice. Um, but interestingly enough, with voiceover actors, you might even go so far as to choose different microphones based on what part of their voice they're using or what kind of character they're making. So, you know, some of these guys can do... I was recording somebody who was doing some Star Wars stuff, but he also is Fred Flintstone and, you know, a couple of other characters. And, you know, Fred Flintstone has got this really gravelly, deep kind of voice. And so it's a completely different part of his vocal range that he is using than when he's playing some other characters. And it would make sense to experiment with using different microphones depending upon what kind of, you know, depending upon what kind of sound you're trying to get out of these guys. Okay, so here's another one for everyone here. How much do you play with the impedance switches on a... Uh, microphone preamp if they have them. Me. 
lot. Yes. Yes. Impedance matching is a good point. Uh, what does that buy you? By me. Oh, what is it? When you high end, more low end, more detail. Yeah, it, 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 it loads the microphone more or less, basically. So you get better power transfer. That's the technical term. And the frequency response changes, essentially. So a microphone can respond better to lower frequencies or louder sounds. So the Viper mic pre is That's a tube. A Viper, yeah. Yeah, it's a, a, a Viper is a really nice one I like to use. And it has a couple of different mic pre settings. I mean, impedance settings. But the older school of thinking was the 600 ohms was the yardstick, 1,000 ohms, 600 ohms. And people used to make little T bridges in the old days XLR cable hmm. with, a, with a, a two resistors in it a T-bridge and used to load things down and some of the mic pre's that people talk about the classics the class A's and the Neves and all that a lot of those characters are, are class A's a specific style of electronics but a lot of them have a special transform in the front end that's where the microphone first gets plugged into it's the first time the electricity leaving the microphone hits the transformer and that's a key thing because the, the transformer has an impedance and that will affect the way that microphone sounds. And Bobby, are, are you using it as a tone control? Yes, exactly yeah. right. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, it's interesting because I, I do a lot of creature vocals, and you are a creature. I know. I know. <laughs> so, and a lot of times I need to be either smaller and cuter, or bigger and meaner. Well, you're there. I know. <laughs> and, and I actually have a huge array of mics and mic pre's that get me different sounds, and it's it's like, what color do I want? Right. How and do you decide? How do I decide what color I want? Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of times if I'm doing, I'd say, Kajus or Godzilla or something, I'm able to get a sound and drop my voice in such a way. Also, we were talking about performance of the mic, proximity effect. How close am I getting? Um, am I going to use a 251? Am I going to use a 47? Am I going to use a shotgun mic? Am I going to use combination? Um, and then what I do is a lot of times I, when I create the vocals, I'm doing live performances. So I do it against picture with all my stuff, and it's not just going in and put through a harmonizer because it's way more involved than that. Right. And I lose a lot of the details. So a lot of people go, how would you get that sound? I'm like, well, you know, I put it through this device. I EQ'd it a certain way and found resonant frequencies that of both the speakers and my voice and what really – ooh, that frequency really overaccentuates something. So when I growl in it or – you know, and also using my vocal cords, a lot of it's experimenting. You know, now let's let's. That's a great point. I'm going to keep moving this forward. So now we're, we've picked our microphones. We're 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 recording. We're getting our performance. Um, I have found that much like a guitar, a vocal chain to an artist is like sacred. I mean, they will do that vocal chain. That is what they know. That is what they like. So once you find a vocal chain that works for whatever your project you're working on. Whatever artist you're working with, you're going to stick with that vocal chain. And I know this because my good friend Martin over here. <laughs> I'm just lazy, mate. I'm just lazy. <laughs> he, has a, he has a vocal chain. And what I mean by vocal chain, I mean you know your, your mic pre, your mic, any kind of compressor that you may go through. We were talking you, about it today. Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's talk about your, your vocal chain, Martin. Well, what do you like, how do you like to record? It, it was a, a matter of experience for me because as the – as my songwriting career went on, um, I started to be able to afford better gear and I sort of just asked all the engineers what would work and uh, they would advise me to, to buy some vintage stuff. So I was saying to Bobby before we came in, I've got a Teletronics LA 2A yeah, yeah. and um, 
I, and I've got a, uh, a couple of Neumann mics, and I would just experiment with that. Uh, this is at a later stage. I mean, I'm, my demos were on Fostex at first at TIAC, and you, right. make, you make them work because I'm just a songwriter, and I just wanted to get the songs across. But when I started to get serious about my vocals, and I was actually working with um, Robbie Robertson, and I could see that he was using some tube microphones, and I liked how deep and growly his voice went and i've got a bit of a high voice with a bit of mid-range and so when i found the neumann um 67 i just heard it it added to me like it just added something that i was missing which is a little bit of gravel and um then i purchased an, a neve preamp and i've got this setup at home which i had uh, ed thacker come across an engineer who when i was doing my first solo record and i just sang for him on the mic and he just set it up and i've left it literally the same for How about the cable for is, ten- is, is, yeah the cabling's i had a very very good wiring guy who just gave gave us great wires you know that uh, that i swear by and i won't change those and i've got two routes into my pro source one through neve and massenburg uh, um uh, uh, compressor and then I've got the LA2A going through um, a Massenburg EQ and I just like the way it works um, I've got a lot of microphones and some don't work for me as much as this 67 you get I've just found that I, I have to I know it so well now right but that so I have these two chains which I don't have uh, which I think really complements me and uh, but I am I'm not really skilled in knowing, like you, you know, to play with it too much. Um, Bobby's helped me on on the on the Massenburg uh, compressor, but once I find something, I know how to use the mic. I know how to come in, go back, and I know how that LA2A works. Um, you perform to the mic. I do. I perform. Yeah. I perform to that mic, and I know when I put the headphones on because I recorded home for twenty years. Right. I know exactly that. That's a really good vocal chain for me. But as Bobby was saying, you know, I worked with Tom Jones, and he, and you'd say, Tom, what mic? do you want and he go like anything <laughs> we worked to robbie robbie williams and, and we sent an email and said what do you want to use before we come i don't know anything so you know really good singers will basically deal with the situation if they can hear it coming back in the cans they'll perform because they are vocalists for Is me at home i found a chain that that i that i love you know but it's embarrassing to say but i've had the same setup for 20 years on the vocals from house of stone and light right onto my new album nothing yeah. embarrassing about it that is an awesome awesome vocal yeah. chain it's yeah. great yeah. stuff yeah, yeah. and that's it, oh sorry yeah. no i was just gonna say and that's that's one thing is if once you find a vocal chain once you find that route into your system that you like yeah. there's no harm in sticking with that man if you can get good results stick with it if i may know? suggest uh, for engineer people more more so than people buying mic pre's one of the tricks uh we'll just give you an, uh, 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 basically you know guitar amplifiers if you're a guitar player or bass player and you've got an amplifier and you've got input gain and output gain with a guitar specifically you can turn up the front end and 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 it will compress a certain way or make the tubes or the amplifier work harder so you'll get certain amounts of sustain and different kinds of sounds anyway the same thing happens when you have a microphone that's compressed for the singer in a very more subtle way and sometimes if you're doing an aggressive vocal or if you want as the producer and as the engineer if you want to get something out of the artist that may be not there or you or the artist is in a funk or whatever it is whatever your job is at the hand today or if the artist is you know want to be something creative what's a very good idea but i found i like to do is i sometimes set up the mic pre of choice and then i discreetly go to a couple of uh, compressors one will be or two will be my print chain so i'll print one that's not some so compressed and one will be less compressed and then i'll i may have a monitor compressor that is just on the monitors not being recorded right but it's purely for giving the artist the jones giving right. the artist jones and it would normally be a parallel compression i won't put the microphone 
through it. It doesn't pass directly through it. It passes like a send. So it, it actually gives the singer something to sing at and they feel like they've got control and they can shout and it won't distort. And it's, oh, yeah. it's really very nice for... That's a, that's a, it's a very great way to get um, a, an inspired vocal out of somebody that sometimes, yeah, you know it is. You know how it is. Yeah. yeah. Rob, uh, one thing I think I'll also mention here is that we're talking about vocal chains usually as being hardware, but there are lots of people who track through plugins right. as well as vocal chain. And one thing that I find incredibly horrifying is that there are EQ and compressor plugins, which may sound great, but they have presets in them called like lead vocal, backing vocal, <laughs> female vocal, male vocal. Just, you know what? Or U67. Yeah, or even worse, yeah, yeah. trying to pretend to make it sound like a certain mic. Yeah. Don't trust any of that stuff. I mean, it's possible one of those presets might be a good starting point, but it's a complete ridiculous thing to think that a setting called female vocal is going to sound good on a female singer automatically. <laughs> that is pure marketing and, and completely useless. So trust your ears. That's so true. Trust so now let's, let's move forward. Okay, we've got the vocal chain. We've got – we've we recorded it really good. Let's talk about the mix because I want to get here. And this is where I want to talk about because this is where the magic happens. And there's also a lot of confusion and there's also – not really a lot of firm rules, right? I mean, you things like, do you... None of this has rules. Right, I mean, exactly. It's, it's, it's art. It's, it's got to like it's art. Compressor, mm-hmm. then EQ, EQ, then compressor. I mean, do you, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. Okay, how loud do you get your vocals? Where do you start? Is it, you know, your lead vocal should be as loud as your snare drum? Or is it, do you fold it into the mix? I mean, well, I'll tell you also, there's a, it's no coincidence that mix rhymes with fix, because <laughs> a lot of what you're doing when you mix initially is trying to fix all the things that went wrong in recording, especially if you're dealing with less experienced people. You know, if a vocal's recorded really strange and has all this crazy sibilance or I've worked with some beginning singers who feel like when you sing loud is when you're supposed to lean into the mic. <laughs> and I've never understood that dynamic, but it's amazing how well, often that happens. That's a, so you're fixing things like that initially before you even get to really mix. That's great. And, you know, let's talk. Since there's not really a lot of rules, let's let's give some general tips here, okay? When, what I mean by that is each one of you guys is really skilled in, in what you can do, and you can all kind of add to this. For instance, um, let's take sibilance, right? Um, there's certain things that you can fix and certain things that you can't fix. And even before sibilance, I'll tell you one thing you can't fix, and that's when you overmodulate. If you go into, if you distort and you, you, if your singer is yelling and there's a super loud part and it goes and it overloads any part of your chain, you need to take a second take because you're just, well, you're just not. Well, actually, Isotope has a really great plug. Well, that's true, but I've used that too, but still, it would be worth doing another take because. Yeah, if you it, have to, if it, you can, it, yeah. It fixes what, it, Nectar? sort of. Uh, 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 no. Isotope 5 advanced. Oh, right. It has, it has, it, it can, it actually can take. It, it, can do, it, it does really good on, on overmodulation, but right. I, I would just take another one because it does it. It's okay, you know. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's it's it can definitely save you in a situation. But I, overmodulation, though, is something that I think it's just if you hear that distortion, just take another take because it's going to be worth it to get a cleaner version of whatever that is. Um, now let's talk about sibilance, um, guys. What do you guys use to fix your sibilance? Anybody know? Anybody have any good tips? Uh, I love the Massey Plugins DSer. It's like seventy nine bucks, and it's the best one that I've worked with. Um, I think it's. I think it sounds Be- better great. Better than MCDSP stuff. Yeah, I think so. In my opinion. Now let's talk about 
You want to describe what a DSer is, real quick? Well, let's talk about sibilance. Like, Bobby, since you're our brain, when people. Oh, kids. <laughs> I first heard you guys love the brain. No, you, you, you have a really great way of explaining this stuff. When, when we're talking about a track that has a lot of sibilance. Why don't you explain what that is? Well, really sibilances, uh, the, the, uh, the S sounds are emphasized uh, for, for on a vocal. So if somebody's singing something like Z, there's lots of S's, the, the, the microphone will most probably emphasize the sound of S, and it will be the S's will get so loud that they'll actually hurt your ears, and, that, and, and it's called sibilance, and, and uh, obviously because it's sibilant. Um, and the way to control that, first of all, the way is not to have that happen in the first place, and that's generally because you've either got the wrong microphone or you've got the compressor set up incorrectly, or the person's got a hole in the middle of their teeth. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> so other than that. Well, and I find, you know, the danger zone in EQ is, is the case, you know? Yeah, say it one more time. The case. 4K, 5K, 6K. Yeah, well, it really depends. I mean, yeah, I mean when, sibilance, uh, 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 when a microphone or when, when you record sibilance, there's harmonics that go along with it. So you've got, a, you know, the, 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 the root frequency, let's just call it, or, or the, you know, the key frequency, the, the central frequency is most probably 2 to 4K, you're right. But there's also other harmonics that come in there. So right. it's a problem. And they're very important frequencies. You can't just cut 4K or right. 2K because otherwise it's... Right, exactly. So, so obviously they invented or they designed a long, long time ago to actually, uh, for vinyl cutting, to stop um, sibilance. So that it's, it's a, it's a frequency-dependent compressor. All it does is it compresses a certain range uh, of frequencies at a certain amount of uh, uh, reduction. So that's all... Com- uh, um, DSing is it's compressing, dynamic compressing of a, a band of frequencies. So most people these days are familiar, at least in the plug-in world, uh, for multi-band compressors. Right. You can use a multi-band compressor, a four-band multi-band compressor, bypass low, mids, and and very highs, and just uh, you know vary the the, the higher mid-range band. Uh, to a roundabout wherever you think it is, and 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 put a bit of compression on it, and uh, that will be essentially like a deesser, and it'll be a very the good brain. <laughs> 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 no, but that's that's important because a lot of people yeah, don't, you know, you hear that, but they don't really understand what that is, and and <coughs> know how to fix it, and it's and there's a lot of people who don't use deessers. There's a lot of people who just go in with their automation and right. find where you're killing your s's. And just, well, that's just, actually a nice way of doing with, it because sometimes the deesser, you know, lots of times in pop, dull, dulls it, it dulls, it does yeah, dull it. Dulls it. And it sometimes make the guy think like he's got exactly. every time he does. So it does that a bit. Um, but that's because the person who's using it isn't using the tool correctly. Just yeah. like what that's true. Saying. A light touch with a DSer <clears throat> really is. It's very true. Them. Lots of times you can, uh, there's a lot of, lot of convoluted tricks you know, above yeah. the need right now to discuss. But essentially, not, uh, I think for everybody to really stop thinking only in a serial fashion in plugging things in. So the sound goes 100% through a DSer and then out the other side. It's, it's almost like you can use it using all, a gate. That's true. You're right. Right. You can always use it. You can always use it in a in a send mode. I say mm-hmm. that meaning the sound goes through the DSer and it also go it bypasses it. And people say, well, why the hell would you want to do that? Well, there's many reasons why you'd want to do that, but. Uh, one of the reasons is it can make DSing be quite strict, but not sound so strict. And the same with compression, same with EQ. So, That's brilliant. So, you know, and these days with digital, we've got no problems with the yeah. signal to noise and hum and buzz and all the junks that us old dudes used to deal with. Mm-hmm. It's true. Parallel processing can do mm-hmm. some amazing things. It's the best you know? thing. Yeah, really. Yeah. I, I learned that from you, by the way. Did you really? Yes. Oh, I'm going to say one side note without DSers. DSers are great for many things, especially in sound effects and sound design. If something that's just a little like, oh, okay. I just want to contain it a little bit rather than going broadband with a multiband yeah. compressor. Yeah, just pop a de on there. 
just take the hair off a little bit. Yeah. What's tolerable and yeah, there you, you go. You know, in the old days, how we used to play with gates, and they used to just touch if you wanted to bring out the sound and everything. It's the same with a de-esser. If you just find the right place, as you were mentioning, and you're very sensitive with it, it can be really great. Let's talk about. I was just going to say, uh, but if you can record, if it is for music, and you can, you have the option of recording your vocal better like if you're in the record process and you hear that sibilance don't plan on fixing it later yeah try to fix it while you're recording it's definitely not something that you just pop in a ds or and it's instantly fixed and one of the big problems just out of interest because we're talking about the mixing stage of recording a vocal often you can record a vocal and it can be nice and bright and you think well it sounds really great and it's not actually essy meaning to say it's not you don't have any sibilant potential sibilant problems but when you get to the mix stage and you've got like the drums or whatever if it's a pop production you've got like everything pounding away right and everything's bright and louder than everything else and you've got this poor vocalist that needs to cut through you're ending up having to add treble and more compression yeah. and you'll make more it's more fun. sibilance and it'll end up not being louder you go, yeah. uh-huh. i remember when i first started out all the engineers said it's best to have a, a warm vocal to move up on instead of having an absolutely bright vocal that you're trying to put depth into. You will mm-hmm. have problems there. Yeah, know? that's a good... That's a good um, were you going to say something? Really yeah, yeah, I was going to say, it's funny because the parallels between music and post-production are sometimes very similar, where a lot of times we're trying to capture a performance. You sound a bit sibilant there. There's Do a lot I of S's s- there. Yeah. <laughs> so, knock, um, knock his teeth out, Bob. By, you're by, by an actor. <laughs> and you know what's interesting is when you start getting... Um, Heavy sequences, whether the combat sequences or there's a lot of music going on, a lot of sound effects, and you got to hear the dialogue, and the and the performer is doing a very dynamic performance. Then you're stuck because all of a sudden you got to bring everything down to hear this. So, um, <laughs> so then uh, you know one of the tricks is compressing it kind of heavily, to be honest, where it it pokes through, and then building the the dynamic performance on the fader. So if someone comes down for a whisper. What you do is by compressing them, you're making it much clearer, but you can bring the, uh, the, the, the dialogue down right. in a way that makes it feel more intimate. But at the same time, there's so many things happening. Yeah, and it's just as thick. Yes. You know, it, let's move on really quick. We got, we're talking about the high end. I, I want to talk about the low end. When you guys are mixing recording vocals, a lot of people – they go for the high end and they don't realize what's happening down below. And and you can run into a lot of problems down below. If you for you instance, certainly can. There's a there's a lot of a lot of low end rumble. <laughs> we're still talking about recording you, you sexy, uh, sexy people. <laughs> sexy. No, but the sexy brain. The sexy brain. But seriously, there's a lot of frequencies down there that you don't necessarily need. And and I would say when you get into a mix and you're starting to place your vocal there, you know, don't High pass filter is your best friend. Exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. and that's that's the thing. If if you can learn how to master your high pass, and you know where you can cut it off, you know, is it everything two hundred and below? Is it everything one fifty and below? Is it everything you know two seventy five and below? I mean, don't be afraid to chop those frequencies out because, especially on a vocal, sometimes you know you get a lot of room tone that you don't think is there and it's actually there and it just takes up a lot of space. It's, it's interesting what Rob said as well, though, for a singer to think about proximity because if you're too close, you're going to get a lot of that down there. You right. know? So you have to really find that sort of six inches, eight inches. That sounded nice, didn't it? Six yeah, inches, no, eight six inches. inches. But, I mean, you, got, you have to find that movement <laughs> from the microphone. Right. You know, the proximity is really important. And it's amazing how even when you think of a low, full vocal, it's really not way down there where you think it is. I mean, there's nothing happening down in, you know, 40, 
you know, 40 hertz down Except there. for truck rumble. I know, exactly. We pretty much, uh, you know, I, I can't think of any dialogue mastering or editing that we do that we don't have filter bank in there. Like, is the first thing on the chain. We've got a high-pass filter at, you know, 60 or 80 hertz. Yeah. Absolutely. But the thing is, there is a lot of beautiful cream. There's a lot of beautiful cream in the dialogue that you want to be able to get down there. But that's, you know, that's 100, 150. Right. You know, so be careful. But, you know, certainly my point of view is... Anything, I will move that high-pass filter up until I really hear it starting to sort of affect the body or the real lowest end of the vocal, and then I'll edge right. it down just a little bit. And I, and I think, especially in a mix situation, that's really important. Look, if you can, you're going to work on your high end, you're going to hear the high end, but if you can control what's happening down below the low end, it's going to make your vocal pop because it's it's not going to be competing against anything uh, anybody have anything to add on that, um, on that? No, I, I think i'd just add that uh, definitely using a high pass filter on the vocal is is nice but sometimes it's really nice to switch it off with the vocal then sings apart but by the, by themselves or they're singing right. and hand clapping or something like that because because yeah. there's a room hump that goes on i know air conditioning is down in the 40s and 60s so you don't really want that but there's there's a certain love to when you hear a vocal you know if somebody's doing an intimate vocal or they're doing an acapella part it's really nice to hear the full frequency so Absolutely. Make sure you have that low frequency ready to be. No, that's a, that's a great point because as much as we want to turn it off to fit to in the fit mix, in with the track, sometimes you want to have the full yeah, bandwidth, yeah. Because, especially if you have a lot of room for it. Yeah. Usually, so. the if you have a roll off switch on your microphone, which is a high pass filter, usually it's a low enough frequency that it's not something you'd ever want in the mix. Why don't we, um, Bobby, explain really quick what a high pass filter is? It's a filter. Yeah, I could use a, uh, a vacation. <laughs> the brain. <laughs> the brain. No, 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 the brain. Listen, the I'm brain. sure anybody else can explain this, but either way, the high pass, I'm going to grab you all. Um, the high pass filter it's is, farting, huh? is exactly what it says. It, it, it filters uh, low frequencies and just passes the high frequencies. Right. And same as the low pass, it does. Filters the high and passes the low. So, yeah. All right, well, let's move on. So now we fixed our vocal. We, we're dealing with the high. We're dealing with the low. Now it's time to put it in the mix, okay? And this is, you know, there's not really any firm rules. But when you guys start, where do you like to place your vocal in relation to the music? Do you want it to sit on top of it or do you want to fold it into it? Is it as loud as the snare drum or is it louder than the snare drum? I mean, there's all kinds of oh, things. Oh, wait, two approaches. Go ahead, Bob. First, first approach in a pop song, usually want the vocal out front so it's louder. With a rock band where you want more power of the band, then you can pull it back. And and as far as uh, all the, the great mixers that I've watched, that's kind of been what they've done. And, and it depends on the genre, really. Yeah, completely. Depends on the genre song. Specific, yeah. Specifically. And sometimes you go in for an effect. I mean, some vocals, the R&B style, uh, sometimes the vocal is extremely dry and tucked so low that you can't really work out what the lyrics are, and it does draw you into the track more. Yeah. So it's actually quite pleasurable. But then you listen to a ballad or, you know, like a pop ballad, and the vocal is out front with a ton of juice on it and whatever. So right. it's really very... And through different eras. Different eras. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like now, now we're, the vocals are very, very loud on pop yeah. records. But back in probably the 70s, they were hidden a little bit more. I mean, my philosophy, and I'm not specifically a mixer, but I'm involved with a zillion mixes, and I do He's some a mixing. But and what? You're a barman, not a mixer. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh, that was worth stopping for. <laughs> 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 uh, the pain, you mean? <laughs> the pain. The pain. Uh, my philosophy with all of this stuff, because there's a lot of things in a mix that you you know what you want them to sound like, and there are a lot of other things in a mix, especially if it's a complex mix, that you discover as you go on. I generally like to focus on the things that I know for sure 
that I want in a mix first. Like if I know how I want the drums to sound, we'll focus on that first. If I know, you know, the basic band is sounding a certain way and, and I know where I want the vocal in front of them, I'll, I'll, I'll specifically do that. I try to focus on the things I'm sure of and then let that reveal the other things that I didn't have a, a set agenda for. You know, that's a, that's a good point. You know? And a lot of times, I mean, especially in whatever genre you're working in, there is an accepted way things should sound. You know, in drum and bass, you know basically what the, the drums and bass are going to sound like. Uh, in, well, <laughs> in heavy metal, you know what that's going to sound like in pop. Um, start with those things and always keep those in perspective. But I agree, probably the single biggest decision uh, and involving vocals is where it should sit compared to the whole rest of the mix. Right. But, but you know, I think there's a, a problem that most young mixers run into all the time, and that's waiting too long to work on the vocal before they, Very they, good they get the mix together and they're eight hours into it, oh, let's put the vocal in. Yeah, and exactly by that right. time, everything is yeah. so dense that yeah. you really... Mm-hmm have to fight another eight hours to make I think it that's work. a tremendous point because as a, I come at this as like a songwriter so yeah. so I set the the voice as a feel to me it has to be even the, the rough mixes are really important to me you do it naturally you feel where you want to hear it because you know you're going to listen to it over a couple of weeks so you sort of naturally go to where they as a writer so you can live with the vocal right. and usually for me the feel of that instantly up is usually where this, it's going to land and everything else would sort of curve around that vocal I know I'm coming from a songwriter Place. So this is what Bobby just said there. All, all the young, all the young engineers I worked with had great problems with that because they would just build this. Oh, that's my beads falling around. I, I, I thought it was raining. <laughs> voodoo for a beans. But, but they, they would, they would work so hard on trying to make a record before you would. Um, put the vocal in and then at the end it was all of a sudden you go what a great track the drums sound good then you put the voice in and it was really a letdown well and that's what i'm saying like if you know where you want the vocal in perspective get it in there early because it's something you know for sure other things that you don't know for sure can come after and keep in mind you can always turn the vocal on and off if you need to hear the detail of the track you're working on under it but getting that perspective right away uh will end up saving time in the long run I, i found with a couple of broad strokes with mixing and i've made those mistakes, as Bobby mentioned so many times, it's terrible. And, and often you still make those mistakes even as yeah. you've done it. You go, oh, yeah. no, here I am again. But a really good way, if you, if you, if you, you know, like you're working, mixing quickly, so to speak, is to get a good drum sound, but don't spend your life on it. And likewise, for all the other instruments and including the vocal with maybe a bit of the splash that you want to put on or whatever the effects you want to have and a little bit of the effects chain, but spend a little bit more time on the actual vocal, meaning to say, I, I know I want to put a tail delay on it here. I want this quarter note thing coming in there. Have that all set up. Then pull all the sliders down and say, okay, let me put the drums in. Let me put this in. Now let me put the vocal in. Because everything, is, it, you, you, you're at least painting with nearly the same right. Right, colors it, then. It's so interesting for me because I've just... For the song, that is. That helps the yeah, song. I was listening to the Beatles in mono, you know, and you realize that they really had the focus. So, And if you listen to Sgt. Pepper in mono, it's a different, totally different mix to the stereo mixes because they concentrated really on the mono in the early days. That was it. Then they left the second engineer to do the stereo one because stereo wasn't as important. But the... The work on a voc- to get a vocal through on a mono mix is, is extremely skillful. It's an art that I you still know. mix in mono a lot. Yeah, just to, because to once feel you get it. the balances in yes. mono, it, it works out yeah. Yeah. stereo very yeah. easily. Yeah. yeah, no, that's so true. I mean, with mono, you've got all that energy coming through one. Yeah. point source and so you really got to manage all your frequencies or else they're going to be and also you know, the phasing in, on, in, yeah. on stereo tracks it cancels stuff out which is really useful 
Yeah. To, you know, for, for some things you don't They were want. thinking about a small transistor radio yeah. and how it really popped yeah. out. So but it's you, a very, very skillful you know, thing. It's funny because we're talking about the studio, but this actually applies very much to live mixing as well. And just a few hours ago, I was speaking to a friend of mine who uh, mixes different acts all over the world in small venues and stadiums and whatever. And we were talking about this, and one of the problems we we're, were both lamenting was the fact that you go to so many concerts and you hear kick drum and snare drum and a local sounds like this, and, and you can't really hear it. And I was saying when I learned, basically what it was is you started from the quietest thing on stage, which is usually the vocal. You brought that up, and then you built everything around it so right. you could always hear it. And and for some reason, there's been a whole generation of live mixers that I think have learned the wrong way. And what ended up happening is you go to a concert now, and, and it's, uh, you know, Mr. Kick Drum. To, and do, yeah. to do with yeah. The thing is, yeah. a, a big part of that as well, um, and I, I, was, I also did front house mixing for a long time, the speaker systems have changed so much now with the active systems. I mean, obviously, the last 25 years have been active systems. But we have such lower frequency response uh, sound, sound reinforcement speakers now. They're getting all this really low wobble, 20, even on records as well, which is horrible. It's like 20 and 25 hertz wobble right. in a concert, and the guys just crank it up. And, so the, and, and lots of times in venues, the acoustics is not that great. And bottom end is really hard to control in, in all areas, but in big venues. And then barely you can't hear the vocalist. I agree. Horrible. And it's just, I'm worried why these guys don't have any ears. Like, dude, can't you hear? You can't hear anything? Is it? <laughs> well, again, I think they learned the wrong way where there's a generation of, of engineers that did that that were perhaps you know big dogs and, right, yeah. and everybody else said, well if they do it then that's the way it has to be right yeah. And yeah. that's my assumption i anyway. suppose but yeah. you would think well, they would just say well man i can't even yeah. 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 the vocal maybe they should <laughs> rob you were gonna um i was just gonna add uh, another thing about mono is a lot of people don't realize if you're doing music that could end up playing in clubs a lot of time dance clubs are in mono and yeah. they do that yeah. so that wherever you are in the room you get the same mix basically yeah. And uh, I used to do it. I had on, on one side of the exactly. It's <laughs> disorienting. Can't hear any other. And side there are there. some clubs that would specifically be like a stereo club or a five-one club, but that's the anomaly. I mean, a lot of a lot of dance stuff just has to sound good in mono. That reason. Um, this is all really great, and and we're gonna have to start wrapping this up. But before we wrap it up, I want to talk to you, Martin, specifically about background vocals, because. Um, now we've got our main vocal. We're kind of f- figuring out where it sits in the mix and everything. You do a great job in mixing your background vocals. Do you have any type of you know rules think, that I you use, or you just go by how it push how it kind of supports your main vocal? And um, it's all feel. I mean, it's all it's, you know. It's hard to. It's very very hard for me to explain that because I work so much on my own, and I've, you know, you've been doing it for a long time. But I I feel it. You know, I just I can feel it like a tapestry. To me, it's like a tapestry. It's like seeing a, seeing the lead vocal. The it's every song is different. Every genre is different. But um, uh, I think I see background vocals as, in general, for me, supporting the lead vocal and adding to the arrangement. And um, you know, it's um, specific to every song. But it's almost like I can see it in pictures. I can see it as a as a as like in a painting. You'd right. say I can see the red just touching underneath the blue or something. It's, that's how I see background vocals, and I and I pan them differently. And I spend a long time thinking about things that are very close to the lead vocal. If, if it's one single harmony, I'll bring it in just real close to it. If it's and then I'll you know I'll put a bunch of harmonies that I think are in stereo. Sometimes I'll just join the stereo track and send it off at seven, you know point seventy five on a right. on, on a on a mix. And so it's 
to do with feel. But then sometimes you really want to hear a Beach Boys thing where it's really right. fat underneath you. It also depends on the key of the song. Uh, that affects how all the background vocals sound, you know. Right. And and what's the how many harmonies you're going to do? What's the octaves going to be? But I basically, in a simple way, would say it's a um, it curves around the lead vocal. It, it, it's to be like clothing to the lead vocal. You do a great job on your on your background vocals. I mean, I Martin mixes that. all appreciate all that. the stuff that he's doing right now, and it's mm. you, you just have a really great feel with and tremendous sibilance. Though. <laughs> Loads of sibilance. But yeah. the thing is, is because your background vocals are are there between your main track and your vocal. I mean, it's a nice little slot. For Something them I like in. as well is sometimes I don't, people don't know that I've got background vocals on there. You know, until you look at it twice, then you go, oh, there's something. It's almost like a pad right. to me. Yeah. Rob. And I think that was great the way you just described it. The only thing I would add that um, when I'm working on these kinds of things, and I'm working with a band now that when you ask what we're allowed to talk about, I can actually talk about it tonight, <laughs> but um, where I have multiple singers and we do a lot of backing vocals and group vocals. And they're not all backing vocals sometimes. And I think always just have a really clear idea of what's a backing vocal, what might be a group lead. And even within the same song and the same mix, you can have groups of vocals that play different roles. Some might be backing, some might be uh, like a double for the lead, which would not really be considered backing if it's right. like a co-lead. Just really think about what the context of all these vocals are, especially if it's a complicated production. Um, you know, sort of strip away the the layers and figure out what's a lead, what's what's truly backing, and what's somewhere in the middle. This and, is a, and work a on great, that that's a great point because um, we were baffled when Brian, my partner from my first band, went in to work with Earth, Wind, and Fire because they would all just come. Three guys would come around a microphone and just hit parts and parts and parts. Mm-hmm. And it was three men just mo- moving around the mic, and it was like, "What's the lead part? What's mm-hmm. the what's the rhythm part?" You know, so it was like you couldn't really what? say it was a background vocal; it was almost like a scat, but uh-huh. a harmony. Were they saying three part harmony yes. at the same time, yes. or, or one part? No, no. He, uh, oh, Massenburg, George Massenburg was doing it, and Murray's had this this way where he where he had two singers, Philip Bailey and another singer called uh, uh, B. Lloyd, who helped with the harmonies and had, but they jammed the parts on the spot. And uh, they just say N- another track, and then they'd move us. I was singing with them. They'd move, say, "You've got a loud voice, move back," and then they'd sing that. And uh, poor old George Massenburg had to go background vocal one, I think, <laughs> background vocal two, I think. Maybe this is a lead vocal because they were like firing out rhythm and syncopated grooves. Wow. And so it was a really good education to me that also they would jam, you know. So it was like give us a track, and they and just fire things out. So. From the old school of going, that's a background vocal. It was different. It, we learned a lot. I'm sure with Stevie Wonder, I learned a lot that um, background vocals were um, not necessarily background vocals, that's but true. possibly horn punctuations. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, they were different. Exactly. They're rhythmic things. You know, there's a good trick I learned from Bruce Wedeen, and that's uh, who <laughs> yeah, right. the, the godfather of, of recording. And uh, that's when you're doing background vocals and you're going to double them. A way to make everything sound bigger is just have everyone take a step back. Yeah, yeah. And, and or swap positions. Or swap yeah. positions and fill up the meters. So in other words, you just turn the gain up a little bit so it's basically the same level. And it makes yes. a big, big difference. Rooms matter. On Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, um, the engineer was saying that um, those wonderful harmonies that you hear from Elton's 
background band, they would all swap harmonies. They'd sing it one way, then they'd say, now you take the high one, I'll take the middle one and the low one. And this got a beautiful blend. I mean, that, that can make it feel full only if you've got two tracks or yeah. one track, you know, after bouncing, because they had to bounce so much down. Right. So, you know, sing it and then ask each singer to sing the other, their opposite parts. And it will really, if they're good singers, it'll blend wonderfully. It's fantastic. I'll also say that uh, coming up with that strategy for how to record and mix background vocals can become part of the signature of a band or an artist. Mm -hmm. You know, if you come up with something that helps, yeah, like Queen's a good example, come up with what's working for your band, that Mm -hmm. technique, if you stay steady with that technique, it's a big part of your sound. Ladysmith Black Awesome. Hey, guys, this was... Man, this is a great. This is really good. And then put, really all, then put auto-tune. Auto-tune on <laughs> everything. And everything. And, and run it all through Queen and Elton John's yeah, backing absolutely. band. They really <laughs> need it. And run it all through an L1. When you're all done. Put it all through an L1. Yeah, make sure it's not too... Make put sure it on the mix bus. Just well, put it no, on the mix bus. Call up the preset uh, called Final Mix. Final Mix. Loud mix. Loud. Set it to loud. It's like I said, open the gates. Leave no bit left unturned. <laughs> and then make a cassette. <laughs> uh, well, anyhow, um, I learned a lot. It's great. And uh, I hope you guys learned a lot out there listening to all these different tips and tricks and stuff like that. Main thing is, is uh, with all this, you know, you got to practice and you got to, you know, try different things and don't be afraid to experiment and take some of these tips. And, and um, I have to say, that was definitely our most recent podcast. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Um, and but, one of our best. <laughs> um, there's a lot of meat and potatoes in there. There was. There was. Well, anyhow, um, before we go, uh, just a couple things. If you have any comments or questions, you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Um, really quick, Rob, are uh, you working on anything that you can talk about? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. Uh, I am pleased to say that I'm able to finally reveal uh, why I've had to Skype in so much, among other reasons, but... Um, one of the reasons is that I've been working with a band in Austin called The Misses. I think we've made a lot of hints about them in the past, but uh, it's a band of five women and... Uh, you should dif- differentiate how it's spelled, not M-I-S-S-E-S. No, it's no. not Hits and Misses. <laughs> it is The Misses. And actually, the website, the preliminary website is up now at themisses.com, which is T-H-E-M-R-S.com. Uh, it has a lot of... Uh, uh, photos of the band, including one of me in a tux with them, wow. which is a very rare occurrence. You know what? Uh, by the time this posts, it won't be the preliminary. It'll probably mm. be the real. Oh, well, that's true. Okay, no, there, <laughs> it's going to take a couple months to to bring the project out for As real. But this podcast. Mm. Okay, <laughs> okay. The project launched three days ago. Mm. No, the project's going to be uh, coming out in a, a bit later. There's a huge marketing uh, plan being put together for it, and uh, the first single though is on the website. It's a song called Enough. Uh, which I'm uh, very happy to say that I wrote uh, with the band and produced. And it actually has a zillion vocals on it. The band has three uh, singers, but we spent a lot of time layering and coming up with the strategy that is their sound. Because when you're working with a new band that doesn't have a sound yet, you have to come up with that sound. And we have strong singers, and so I think we finally have come up with the sound, and the rest of the EP and, and eventual album will sort of be based on this first song. But I'm pleased to say the first single is up there. I've been to Austin now 27 times for this project in wow. the last year and a half. It's been really, really fun, and it's turning out great, and I'm finally allowed to talk about it. That's great. So, so I'm, 
be sure to check that out. Go visit the missus. Visit the missus. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Nick, how about you? Are you working on anything? Uh, well, I just got back from the Game Developers Conference from cool? uh, my neck of the woods up in San Francisco. It was awesome. I you know went back home and stayed at my dad's house in lovely Mill Valley, California. Um, and the two most exciting things for me, it really re-energized me about you know sort of video games after working on them for so many years and getting a little bit tired of them. Um, there was a Legends of Lucasfilm Games postmortem uh, in which uh, <laughs> the the people that really founded this you know absolutely seminal group of incredibly right. creative video games people were there talking about you know sort of the good old days that was very exciting for me um, and then there was a postmortem on the guy who created Zork back on the uh, really? the PDP eleven yes. who then founded Infocom and all of those text yeah. adventures and I forgot just how much of my misspent childhood was spent <laughs> trying to parse out Scott Adams adventures. <laughs> and all of that stuff and you know I miss those days for sure half the battle was just trying to figure out a command that the computer understood absolutely <laughs> go north put, north run put torch on cat yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bobby how about you uh, I just finished up one coaching program uh, that's going to be ongoing and I'm about to start on two more lynda.com courses nice and uh there's a couple books after that that I'm going to be working on. Awesome. So, hey, yeah, busy. How was uh, how was your vacation? Right? I know you didn't you take a little break? Yeah, it was pretty damn good actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went to uh, spring training, baseball spring training in in Tampa, mm-hmm. Clearwater actually, and then I went on a cruise to Cozumel. And, uh, uh, the the one thing I should mention though, this is the second cruise I've been on where I didn't see a guitar player. At all, That's there were no guitar players anywhere, and it dawned on me why. DJ, guitar player? No, no, there were bands, oh. but most of them were just bass and keyboards and a vocalist and a drummer, and this is everywhere. And it dawned on me why guitar players are loud; they're too loud. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and I think that that's I thought he was going to say they were off shagging, <laughs> <laughs> or they can't swim. <laughs> Other than that. That's great. It was great. Thank you for asking. Yeah, you look well. You looked all kind of calm and relaxed. And yeah, for like, now, yeah. <laughs> Scott, how about you? Hello. Sorry, uh, um, a couple of things. We uh, just launched our website, which is FormosaInteractive.com. Formosa Interactive. Uh, we uh, we did it at the launch of GDC. Nice. Which is Game Developers, um, and that was fun seeing old friends and, and stuff, and won a couple awards for. Uh, um, gang awards for uh, a game we did called The Last of Us, which has been doing very well in the uh, actually in the gaming world, um, and uh, and some of the work we've been doing with PopCap. So wow. um, uh, yeah, we, it's been very nice to see you know some of the hard work and long hours we've been spending getting some attention. Great. So because uh, yeah, you got good. robbed at the Academy Awards, but that's totally my opinion on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby, hello. Oh, you, good evening. Um, yes, what am I doing? I'm just uh, on the checkered flag is in sight on this uh, this uh, sample uh, uh, project I'm doing with Audio, Audio Bro. It's about two months down, and we'll be finished. So we're in, the, we're in the tidy up stage of making sure everything's working. So it's pretty good. Awesome. So starting beta testing soon, and then I'm doing uh, General Hospital. I'm one of the composers for General Hospital. Wow! wow. And fifth time this year, fifth time. Emmy, daytime Emmy nomination so we'll see, oh, we'll see what happens yeah. but I've missed it I've missed it four times I'm going to go I'll give it to him for now <laughs> yeah. hey what's, what happened with your console what's the latest with that oh mate oh, it's such a shame I, I, I'll tell you I, I, 
obviously a lot. In fact, I uh, tomorrow I've I basically start putting the channels in. Um, just completely rebuilt it, basically. It's an 88R now. Yeah. Oh, fully, wow. And I've got... Uh, I just put in the Conway mods, which is the power distribution for the whole thing, and I'm able to switch off the buckets now. So, like the SSL could. The, a, a, a VR could never do that because of the logic. Yeah. But we found a clever way of keeping the logic on from one power supply and switching it all so I could switch off the power and stop chewing up 20 amps per bucket when, when I'm not using it, you know, basically. And uh, most advanced thing of, of that console is that I found a company, a brilliant company called Omnitrack, in, in England, and they make essentially what looks like a ballpoint pen, which is, which is a ball bearing in a socket that's, that's soft. And, and I asked them, and they, they made it for me specifically, but it has an adjustable screw on it, and they are the eight legs that, the, that my console stands on. It's 1,800 pounds when it's fully loaded. But I have a, my control room where I want to be able to wheel it out and move my console around. Wow. And this, is, this allows me to do it. It's amazing. And wow. That was my thing. So that's Fantastic. What that's what I'm happy about. Thank I've just you. seen a photo of it as well it's yeah, yeah, I gotta beautiful. come over and see that we, 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 we actually should do it one. you know what we should do we should set up a band and do a potty there or something like well, okay, that okay we'll yeah, do a yeah. podcast there as long as I'll you... record all channels <laughs> that's right <laughs> but you don't know is we did a podcast yeah, once should, there okay. as a special <laughs> probably the best ever it was the best it. ever and we actually sat in my control room because I just got the VR and it was laying in pieces in a pile of junk and, and Mike said we've got to come and do a podcast about the VR I said yeah with pleasure come over to my place he said okay so he said you got any mics so I set up three mics quickly and I'm talking to him and looking and I said I'll just record it quickly on the computer and I put the three microphones up, but routed his mic to three buses. We recorded him looking again. So we got me. <laughs> Martin, this is when we have to say the brain. The brain. Yeah. Yeah. The pain. The pain. There was a plan, really. Yeah. <laughs> it was hilarious. Martin, how about you? It's been a, a really interesting um, beginning to the year, mainly because of, of uh, older copyrights. I mean, it's um, recently we built the city was yeah. um, made into a a advert in England for a, a phone company and it went viral it just exploded wow. like 5 million um, plays and uh, and then it ignited the single in England to like ridiculous uh, you know they just fell in love with it again so it entered, you're back on the charts right it was a rocket up to 25 in the English charts <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. is this the uh, Jefferson Starship yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 30, 30 years on it's become the, the fastest moving single in England in March that's awesome isn't that brilliant so it went from yeah. something like 187 to 25 purely from the viral of YouTube and uh, yeah it's phenomenal because they've become it's become again, you know, a very, very powerful. So, song. so the question is Lamborghini, Ferrari? No, Maserati. A red one. And then, um, you know, because of the copyrights, it's been just one of those years where these dreams, and again, we built the city are in uh, two more major movies uh, just about to come out. And then I've, one of my songs from the, my first album, Keeper of the Flame, that's going into a, a big movie as well. So wow. it's been really quite good. And then I did a wonderful, um, which is on my Facebook page, a wonderful interview for a company called uh, song facts and uh yeah they, it's, this it was quite it's quite charming idea. to me because it was like they were they'd just done um bill withers they just done holland dozy and holland they just done donald fagan and they, they were calling it the world's greatest songwriter so i felt very honored to do it and they went in depth about it all the songs i'd written yeah. and so it's a very very long interview but it's really behind the scenes the guy brilliant. did a, yeah the guy did a great interview so i was very proud of that and that's just up on the facebook page now and um so it's been a good start you know it's it's really nice to feel that something you wrote 30 years ago mm, still yeah still a, appeals to the kids because it's the kids that are buying it still 
so, yeah. the drinks are on Martin. No. <laughs> I got to go real quick. Actually. Hey, real, really quick. Um, I will say too that you played me a couple of songs of some stuff you've been working on, and let me just tell you, man, for you Martin Page fans out there, there's some brilliant stuff coming down the pipe. Sometimes, so. thank you. Mark. No, it was really good. It's fantastic, and I, and I know I, I'm just going to brag all over you. So thanks, buddy. There you go. Bye. I uh, I just realized uh, before. Uh, before we go, I forgot to mention, so with the missus, with the band I'm working with, I'm writing and producing, but I'm also helping with their development and helping them come up with the strategy for getting out there and basically helping manage their development. And it's given me a chance to work with Mr. Ozinski over here. I've been picking his brain about a billion different things, and it's absolutely just been amazing to have him on board. So thank you. This is a public thank you. There are two brains. Oh, wow. <laughs> there are two brains. Two brains. Just the Bobbies have the brains. Though, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's written, he's literally, literally written the book on things that I've needed yeah. to know for this project <laughs> and that the band has had to lo- know because this is partially about educating the band as well. So thank you for all the time you're putting in uh, oh, helping thanks. with that. It's a lot of fun. Good, I'm it's glad. It's a great band, great project. And awesome. It's a pleasure working with you. What about you, Mike? The fun what will continue. Um, let's see. I'm mixing uh, season two of Axe Cop, my favorite animated series mm-hmm. on Fox. On mm-hmm. uh, so when that'll, I think that comes out in May or maybe in April. Axe Cop. Axe Cop. That was chaps. Funny. And then I'll tell you what. I made another purchase. And uh, I haven't uh, bought one of these. I hope it was, right an iPad. IPad. it was an iPad app. No. Absolutely. No. <laughs> do, do you have the gold one? <laughs> no, no. I got... What was I tuned for the telephone? No, for, I bought a, uh, a gaming laptop, PC laptop. Why not? How many laptops do you have? Steam? Are you using Steam? I have a ton of laptops. I know you do. But actually... They rotate to my kids. So. Oh, well, that's the excuse. That's why you had kids. <laughs> I know that. But, but no. what about the picture that, about the, the model? That you did. I put that up. You did a model. Yeah, that that was awesome. That was that's a that's a roller coaster. It's called Space Warp. It's that's a, awesome. A, it's a little uh, a little roller coaster where you get these still balls. Little, and little it's them. not little. It was huge. No, it's yeah. I mean, it's it's about what how what is that three feet maybe three and a half feet and uh, yeah, it was pretty fun. I, I put actually if you guys go to the Facebook page, um, I started a little uh, post where people can put up um, things that they do away from music. Because um, sometimes you got to step away. Like run. You know? That's not a you good gotta, idea. Is it really? no, no, but we, there's some talented people out there. Some people that Drugs. do photography <laughs> and some other things. Yeah, but, well, <laughs> not what you guys do. Touring. Really quick. I'm just going to tell you. I bought a new uh, Windows laptop, and let me just say, Windows is Windows eight one. No, it's actually it's pretty good. The power of these new laptops of the processors yeah. is scary good. I mean, it's so good. The gaming engines. It has a, a if you know your uh, graphics card, the, the new GTX um, Nvidia eighty eight seventy, which yeah. is their second to the highest mobile. Um, graphics chip. It's just scary how much power it is. And it renders the blue screen of death with a richness that you just can't imagine. I can just imagine. For all those text adventures, it's going to be so fantastic. Look, it's it's a blast. I'm having just as much fun. I'm installing all my great PC software and stuff like Fruity Loops and all my audio software, all my Cubase. It's actually... It's going to be my new music computer for Windows. And it's just powerful. And you know what? It's so inexpensive. It was... Compared to what you would have to buy on a Mac side, right. it's literally half as much. You get what for, you pay for. For yeah, twice the power. 
half as much, twice the power. So it was yeah. really and good. a quarter of the operating system. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> about nine thousand times more remember, the downside. Remember, you used to like to be on PC. Absolutely, <laughs> the PC used to be way cooler. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, listen, we're going to wrap this up, but uh, I want to thank everybody first of all for eight great years. All the original guys are here. I want to thank the new guys, Bobby and Nick, for coming. No problem. Fantastic ads. I want to thank Colin for helping us out. Who wasn't actually born when we did the first podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And I want to thank the listeners. You guys have been behind us. There's been... Some amazing people that I know have been there since show number one. Um, you know, we got some great friends in New York, some great friends in uh, North Carolina. We've got some Chicago friends. We've got our German friends. We've got our English friends. I mean, we've got a lot of good communities out there. Hand for friends. the friends. <laughs> so thank you, listeners. And, uh, you know, it's been a blast. And we're looking forward to year number nine. And we're going to keep doing it. Um, and I'm starting to pay these guys now. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> He's paying us an old laptop. <laughs> He's paying us nine times more than we were getting originally. Exactly. Yeah, we right. doubled each year. For myself and all the guys, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and West Wave Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and uses Aphex's 230 Master Channel Voice Processor. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>